0: to another episode of the family gamers podcast this is episode 344
1: hello everybody it is a delight to be with you all once again i'm excited to do another list 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 show this week
0: yeah i think this might be the last one for a little while Maybe.
1: but i'm not really sure we'll see but we'll see anyway we are the family gamers as always i am your host andrew and i am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife anitra that's me And, uh, well, I'm going to do that thing. I've got a fact for our number 344. Are you ready? All right, lay it on me. This one is a story. Aren't they all? (laughs) I mean, no. All right, here we go. Herman and Donna Ostry bought a farm a half a mile outside of Bruno, Nebraska. That's a true story. Because the barn was near a creek, the floor was always muddy and wet. One year, when the creek flooded, leaving 29 inches of water in his barn, Herman decided something had to be done. He contacted a building moving company, but the bid was unaffordable. At supper, Herman joked to his family, I'll bet if we had enough people, we could pick up that barn and carry it to higher ground. I think you know where this is mm. going. Herman's son, Mike, however, took the idea seriously. He counted the boards and timber and estimated the barn's weight at 16,640 pounds. Then he began welding a grid of steel tubing, bringing the total weight to almost 10 tons. Woo. Mike's system provided a handhold for 344 people, which meant that each person would be lifting about 55 pounds. Okay. The little town of Bruno was planning its centennial that summer, and the planning committee decided to make the moving of Austri's barn a part of the official celebration. On July 30th, 1988, local TV cameramen were on hand along with 4,000 spectators. The 344 volunteers lifted in unison. The crowd then applauded as they moved the barn 115 feet to higher ground in three minutes. All right, cool. I like it. That's my fact for our episode number 344. It's a feel-good story. It is a a feel-good story. You also have a fact from our sponsor, First Move Financial. Did
0: you know that risk when it comes to investing is anything happening other than what is expected? So when that stock you bought went up more than you thought it would, That was risk at work, with the return deviating from the mean. Now, let's do a small sample experiment. Andrew, if I offered you a wager on a coin flip, where on heads you lose $100, and on tails you gain $150, would you take that wager? Probably not. Because I'm not a gambling man. Most people don't like this wager. Their quick internal math makes the potential loss of $100 larger than the potential gain of $150. Or they could be falling for the sunk cost fallacy that the money they already have is worth more than the money they don't have. Either way, this shows how most people are loss-averse, not risk-averse. The amount of loss aversion you have should influence how you invest, but also how much insurance you own and how much you have in your emergency fund. Knowing more about ourselves and how we instinctively react will help us to make better financial decisions in the future. If you want to talk to someone about your natural money instinct and what that means for your investments, reach out to First Move Financial by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and schedule a time to talk.
1: Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. So, Anitra, last week on the show, we talked with Jeremy Howard about just a bunch of awesome games. Yeah. And I feel like that's also what we're about to talk about and what we've been playing.
0: I mean, kind of, yeah. Um, <laughs> we've been playing some some pretty great games. And yes, we have. one or two that are maybe kind of mediocre, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Do you want to go first?
0: Sure. Let's start with Math Rush. This is a Genius Games game. It's actually Genius Games Junior, which is adorable. So Math Rush is a cooperative game about fulfilling goals By putting numbers down that fulfill a a goal, it's always going to be either ascending numbers or descending numbers. And then there's other conditions that you put on how many cards you need, or they need to be only evens or only odds or only addition cards, whatever. And everybody is just looking at the cards in their hand, comparing the results of the equations in their hand to the results they're already down and trying to play these ascending or descending numbers to fulfill the goals. It's honestly, I think the first math-focused game I've seen that didn't just feel like we were sitting there doing flashcards or like, oh, here's another equation to solve to do the next thing. It felt like they meant something.
1: Yeah. I mean, the cards are certainly essentially flashcards. The cards
0: are flashcards, But it's the
1: organization of the game where you can do things like, as you're building out these lists that fulfill the requirements. If you have a card where the result is the same, even if the equation is not, they stack, Mm -hmm. which is a nice Mm -hmm. way to change the way your brain thinks a little bit, which I really like about it. So that is a nice piece to this. I also like that the game is just cooperative. I mean, it's helpful that you're not trying to battle against someone else. Yeah, it's not about
0: who's the best at doing math.
1: It's let's all do this math together. Well, and parents can play with kids because you're all trying to be successful together, which is helpful.
0: Yeah. I really liked all of that. I liked it enough that I tried playing it again solo. It was surprisingly hard. (laughs) Solo. (laughs) In part because you have a bigger hand of cards, so I couldn't just kind of hold all of the results in my memory all of the time and be sure. like, oh, this is what I'm looking for and I'm going to wait for somebody else to put down some numbers and then I can put down mine. I was like, oh no, this is all me. Yeah. But um, yeah, surprisingly fun cooperative game. Uh, the one we've been playing is their volume one, which is just addition and subtraction.
1: Cool. I think the first game that I'm going to talk about is a game that is currently fulfilling on Kickstarter. We got a copy of the deluxe edition of this in for review as part of the Kickstarter fulfillment. And this is the game Illiterati from Gap Closer Games. So in much the same way that this number game is better than a lot of other number games because it's actually cooperative Mm -hmm. and everybody can work together, Illiterati is a word forming (laughs) game that is actually cooperative.
0: Yeah, and has a theme that is enough theme to really keep you engaged in this cooperative game, but without getting in the way of it being a pretty straightforward
1: word game. Yeah, it totally is a straightforward word game. I mean, it feels a lot like Bananagrams. I mean, that's kind of the general structure of what's happening. You're forming words, you're pushing letters that you don't want into a center pile, you can pull letters out of the center. I know that's not exactly how Bananagrams works, but bear with me. You know, you can pull letters out of that center pile. I I mean, again, Bananagrams is not a cooperative game, but just in terms of how that part of it structurally kind of works, it just made me think of that.
0: Yeah. And just like in Bananagrams, you're constantly kind of taking letters off and reforming words and trying to make it work in different ways to use all of the letters. That's why this feels a lot like Bananagrams, because that part has the same goal. Use all of the letters if you can. You're not trying to make a grid or any of that stuff. But you're trying to make words that use all the letters, and secondarily, trying to make words that fulfill your own personal goal.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's weird to say secondarily because it really is your primary goal, but you need to complete words as a, like, secondary goal to keep yourself from taking a penalty at the end of the round by not having a whole bunch of completed words. So, like... Primary and secondary really kind of play back and forth yeah. as your goals as you're playing the game. But at the easiest level, everybody has to fulfill two of these book requirements. And the books are usually some kind of subject or something like that, like things having to do with underwater, I think, was something that you had. Or it might just be something like you have to have three four-letter words, all of which have a certain like suit color on at least one letter in each of the words because there's a bunch of different colors.
0: Or sometimes there are even things like you need to have two words that are antonyms, so opposites of each other. Right. Or you need to have two words that rhyme.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So that part of it's really cool. The types of goals that you're going to be going for are well varied, right? It's not like yeah. you are like, "Okay, it's time to make two more, you know, six-letter words." You know, Woo. Yeah. Kind of thing. But as you complete those Every round, which is a timed three-minute round, which I also like because the game doesn't go on forever, mm-hmm. you then pull a villain who does some weird thing to your letters, and you go around doing this until either you lose the game or everybody manages to complete a certain number of books at the normal difficulty level. It's two, and then everybody has to complete a more stringent requirement, and once everybody completes that, the game is over and you have won.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, The big thing is that if you're not making enough words, if you have leftover letters at the end of a round, not only are you going to have to face that Illiterati attack, but simply having too many spare letters penalizes you in multiple ways. You burn a letter and there's a burn tracker, but also you're not allowed to fulfill any other goals that round,
1: um, which can hurt a lot. I really like the structure around this game even though it's just the kind of like loose plot to hold everything together. But I like it. Like, I, I also like the game Spell Smashers from Renegade Game Studios. Yeah. But we could never get that game.
0: That game was so involved and there were so many kind of between round choices that you had to make and paths that you could do because it was all in this fantasy world of your words or your weapons kind of thing. And it just, it turned into this like 90 minute slog a lot of the
1: time yeah i mean like we played illiterati two nights back to back and that was something that i don't ever think we would have done with Spellsman. Uh, no i don't think so, so either. i really think that it speaks well to this game as a game that's relatively light that different kids in our family can play i like it i'm, I'm hopeful for the future of illiterati in our family
0: yeah well that's looking forward i'm actually going to look back a little bit i pulled metro x off the shelf the other day to play it solo and not two days later we were at a friend's house and they're like hey do you want to play metro x and i was like yes (laughs) (laughs) yes i do especially because i remember how to play now i still really like this as a very basic kind of route building roll and write sort of game i think there are probably other games that are going to supplant it for me so uh, we might move on from metro x But I do find Metrox really approachable and it's a game that most kids can get into and understand because it's just, it's pretty simple of like you flip the number, you get to put that many X's out sort of thing.
1: Right, right. All right. The next game I'm going to talk about is a game that kind of makes me sad. Uh, This is a game that we released a review for this past week and I wanted so much for it to be better than it was. And this is Save Patient Zero from Helvetic. So Save Patient Zero is a deduction game. If you played Turing Machine, it's got a lot of similarities to Turing Machine in the sense that you kind of have a blank slate at the beginning. In this game, you have 25 molecules, and you're trying to isolate three of them, which are the molecules that are necessary to make the antidote to Save Patient Zero.
0: Yeah, they've been randomly chosen, Mm -hmm. secretly. Yeah.
1: But... (sighs) The problem with this game, I mean, the good thing is, so there's all these different tools that you can use, right? So in Turing Machine, you would have four decoders or whatever it is. In Safe Page Zero, you've got all these different tools. I think there's like four or five tools that if you're kind of a starter, there, there's the a
0: minimum recommend. of six for the starter game, I think.
1: Yeah, something like that. And these tools are things like the scan pad, which you would put on this grid of 25 molecules, and then the neutral arbiter would tell you, I think it's the number of molecules that are part of the antidote are in that. And that gets to the other thing, which is this whole neutral arbiter piece. So you have all these tools, they all work differently, and they're cool ways to try to deduce which of the molecules are or are not valid. But the way this game is constructed, you always need someone else to be a neutral arbiter. To answer your questions, To answer your questions. Yeah. And so you've got these two teams, the red team and the blue team, and they're trying to figure out the same set of molecules in the shortest number of tests, basically. But you've got to have somebody who knows the answer and can review the assessments from the various teams or the tools that are being used and adjudicate what's happening. I don't want that in a board game.
0: Well, and especially because we ran into one of the most common tests, like it's a test that you, you're you pretty much going to have to do, really lends itself to user error. And some of the cards used in that test have typos on them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just that's error upon error thing. upon error. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's a lot of these things where if it was one thing or another thing, you you might be able to look past it. But the combination of all of them really made it a tough sell. I I like the bones of the game. I mean, there even is an app that you can use as the neutral adjudicator, but the app is buggy. So it's it's just just... like, it was almost like I was marching up the hill of enjoying this game and it was constantly throwing boulders down at me as I was trying to climb the hill. It was really frustrating. It
0: is a fight to play the game and Mm -hmm. enjoy it. Yeah. It's not a bad game as far as it's, you know, structured. It just... There's something missing to make everything click right into place so that it's actually fun instead of just being like, oh, but I should have gotten this, but I somebody made this mistake three turns ago.
1: Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I think it means a lot to say when everything goes right, it's a good experience. And yeah. out of all of the times that we played it during testing, everything went right once. Yeah. So that's that's not a good thing. No. <laughs> so Save Patient Zero Volume 2 will be a great <laughs> game. But yeah. Save Patient Zero, it's got some problems.
0: You and I have also been playing some more Yokai Sketch. Uh, we're going to talk more about that in the break, so I won't belabor it right now. But I did also play it with our son, Asher, and had much the same experience. It's a very enjoyable, tight two player game. Uh, in fact, he beat me, and I did not think he was going to. So it was a good time.
1: All right. We got to talk about the crazy one. I suppose we do. So we went to a friend's house and there are pictures on Instagram to prove it. <laughs> and we played Dead of Winter Warring Colonies. I think yeah. That was the expansion that we played. It w- Well, it
0: was 10 players. Yeah. And it worked out to its two colonies with five players in each. And you're trying to survive because it's Dead of Winter. You're trying to, you know, survive the zombies. But also you basically need to or less kill off the other colony. I mean, not really kill them, but like reduce their morale to zero.
1: Right. And the primary way by which you reduce their morale is by killing is them. Is by people. killing them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it was nuts. It was, well, it was nuts because it was basically a party while we were trying to play a board game.
0: Yeah. And nobody there like didn't want to play the board game. It's just that it was so easy to get
1: sidetracked and do all these other things too. Yeah. Like when it took us an hour and a half to play one round, I was like, like, oh no. Oh no.
0: (laughs) I will say that by the end I felt like I understood pretty well how to play Dead of Winter and I understood very well how to play this particular variant of Dead of Winter.
1: Yeah. It's not a complicated game.
0: And I would be more willing to play Dead of Winter in the future now. Like I really only did this because our friend invited us and I was like, okay sure i've never played it i'll give it a shot
1: yeah yeah i don't know if at the end of the day this is really a game for me anyway like i would still play it as part of a social experience kind of thing but i mean this is definitely not a game that i would ever feel like i need to own
0: yeah this particular friend is really into highly thematic games Mm -hmm. and so dead of winter is right up her alley not so much for us especially when it comes to zombie games and that's okay
1: yeah, I mean, she's already reached out for the next game. <laughs> we need some experienced gamers. Can you come play this game with us? So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, that was Dead of Winter. Good time.
0: One more quick one. We gave a quick try to Nerd Words Science.
1: Yes, we did.
0: Which is also from Genius Games, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. This is a really interesting take on the clue-giving, word-guessing kind of game. We played the three-player variant, which is definitely not going to be as much fun as an actual two-team game that we learned as we played, which is fine. Now we know that, and we will probably only play the the team (laughs) variant in the future.
1: Probably, yeah. So in this game, everybody has three cards, or at least in this variant that we played, everybody has three cards, and you have to give four clues one at a time, and the earliest clue that somebody guesses on, the earlier the clue, you get more points. Yeah. So your first clue needs to be a single word that describes the word that is the science term word, yeah. the science term. And it starts with a letter that is in the word, but is not the first letter of the word. Yeah. And that is true for clues one through three. Yes. And then clue four has to start with the letter that the word starts with.
0: Yes. Yes. That's pretty much it. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some betting involved as well, um, which is helpful if you're really confident either in your guess or in your clue giving abilities. Both sets of people can bet on answers and that can bump you up in the score track faster, but it can also bump you down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So overall, it was good. It just was not great for three individual players late at night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when the words, they don't come anymore. Yeah, they, they just There's a the time at which these things stop happening. All right. Why don't we welcome our new community members, and then we'll take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about games for six-year-olds. Yeah. All right. I will open it up. Welcome to Gina. Welcome to Andy. Welcome to Kevin. Hey, I know that guy. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to Claire. Welcome to Rosa. And welcome to Pat. We're so glad you joined the community. We hope that you are finding good information in there for your kids for your grandkids for your nieces nephews students students whatever whatever any kids in your lives we hope that uh that you're finding some good games that you can play with them
0: let's talk about yokai sketch and then we'll be right back Andrew, do you know what yokai are?
1: That's the thing with the watches, right? The TV show that our kids used to watch? That's yokai, right?
0: Not exactly. Yokai is a Japanese term for supernatural beings. Um, They're monsters or spirits or demons whose existence provides an explanation for otherwise unexplainable phenomena.
1: Okay, so they're like the creatures that appear in Japanese legends.
0: Yeah, the oni and all of those. Oh,
1: okay, all right. Now we're gonna hunt down some Yokai ourselves, but only to draw them and to find out more about them. This is a snap review for Yokai Sketch, a game for two players by Ignace Ferre and published by DeVere Games. The box says it's for ages 12
0: plus, and it plays in about 20 minutes.
1: Let's talk about the art in this game. Well, it's Vincent Dutreit. It's beautiful. And his art leads into the sketch part of the name Yokai Sketch. The backs of the sketch cards have a pencil-drawn look to them with a young boy holding hands with an ape-like yokai.
0: The fronts of them have bare line drawings of the different yokai types, with a different yokai on the two ends of the card. Each of the four yokai types gets its own background color with a distinct monochrome pattern.
1: There are also full-color illustrations of the four yokai on the yokai card backs using the same color. The fronts of these cards have a more abbreviated version of the full color portrait with the same colors and the background patterns. So, Anitra, let's talk about the mechanics of Yokai Sketch, how to play the game.
0: Why are there two kinds of cards, and what do you do with them?
1: Well, in Yokai Sketch, you're trying to attract the most valuable yokai cards to your notebook. To set up, shuffle each type of yokai cards separately, then lay the four stacks of yokai out on the table between the two players. Deal each player 3 sketch cards.
0: Start your turn by drawing a sketch card. Then you may play up to 3 cards from your hand. You're not required to play any sketch cards, unless you already have 4 in your hand. Play your sketch card next to a matching yokai type on your side of the table. Offset it from any other cards already committed to that yokai, so you can see how many there are really easily.
1: Then, check the matching cards on both sides of the table. If the total number of cards both players have committed to that yokai are equal to or greater than the number showing on the stack, the player with more committed sketch cards wins that yokai card for their notebook. They take it and they discard all of their sketch cards for that type. The other player's sketch cards get to stay, and they can count towards the next yokai card in the stack.
0: If both players are tied for the most cards, the yokai gets frightened and its card moves to the bottom of the stack, both players discard all of their sketch cards that are on there.
1: Some sketch cards have special abilities, indicated on the middle white space of the card. If you play one of these, choose whether or not to use the ability immediately after playing the card.
0: The hand lets you call a yokai from a different stack and place it onto your current stack. You treat it as if it is now the same color as all the other yokai in that stack.
1: The rice ball lets you distract a yokai. Take the last sketch card your opponent played, turn it around so the opposite side yokai is showing, and move it to the matching yokai stack, maybe to make that stack score. Hmm. When at
0: least one stack of yokai cards is run out, the game ends. Whoever has more points on the yokai cards they've collected wins the game.
1: Well, Anitra, what did we expect from yokai sketch?
0: Uh, well... We really like two-player card games. They tend to be very tight and uh, involve a lot of back and forth, which mm-hmm. I like. I was a little skeptical of this one, though, because the theme is that we're secretly sketching forest spirits. That seemed kind of weird to me.
1: Yeah, and truthfully, a lot of those games where you're dealing with like Bigfoot and stuff like that, like they just aren't very good. So there was well, certainly a lot of skepticism here. They just haven't worked for us. Yeah, they haven't worked. For me, it's a two-player game in a small box. You open it, and it's a deck of cards. I was expecting some kind of a back-and-forth player duel. Yeah. But as always, we had some surprises. So the first thing that surprised
0: me is that this game actually reminded me a lot of Voltage, which is an older two-player game. You've got the ability to shift the balance quickly for a specific yokai reward, and that keeps things interesting. I love that you can play up to three cards on your turn but you really need to make sure they're the right cards. I especially liked figuring out how to use those special abilities to force my opponent to help me.
1: Yeah, this game also reminded me of Hanamakoji, which is a card-based two-player game where you are sparring back and forth trying to win geishas. Sure. The next level strategy that you mentioned... uh, it really comes from like affecting two numbers in one turn. You place a number with your rice ball on it, you win the number that you're on, but you can also use the rice ball to move the last card the opponent played to a different stack, which might be separate from where you are. And maybe you can win that one too. It's a really interesting strategy for a game that's literally just a deck of cards. So in do we recommend Yokai Sketch?
0: Well, as it says on the box, Yokai Sketch is best for older kids and adults. Although the rules are pretty easy to understand. Younger kids are going to get focused on that one yokai card they want, which can make the game really frustrating. This game is better for players who can stay flexible and keep multiple options open.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. So, what should we rate this game?
0: I think we're going to rate Yokai Sketch three and a half drawings out of five.
1: And that's Yokai Sketch. In In a a snap. We're back. All right, so whenever we do these lists, the first thing that we do is we talk about the new skills that your child who has just leveled up to six years old should be able to master.
0: So, six years old is like the beginning of the big kid years. This is when kids are in first grade. But what makes a six year old different from younger kids? First of all, they should definitely recognize numbers and letters by now. They're building reading skills, they may be full on reading. They may be still very slowly sounding things out, but they're somewhere in that continuum by six years old.
1: Not only are they figuring out word sentences, they are figuring out number sentences as well. They can yes. do more than just simple counting. They can do addition and subtraction or counting by, which is essentially early multiplication. Yeah. Count by twos, count yeah. by fives.
0: Yeah. yeah. They can remember the difference between left and right. Right. Hooray!
1: (laughs) (laughs) And their fine motor skills are improving. They might even be able to do things like tie their shoes at this age or hold a handful of cards a little bit more easily. Or
0: other game related activities that require some finer dexterity.
1: Hmm. Dexterity games might come up on Hmm, this (laughs) list. Maybe.
0: Six year olds really like to race, whether it's running, scootering, eating, brushing teeth, everything. So much racing.
1: The number of times you'll say, this is not a race, (laughs) to your six-year-old is really quite impressive.
0: I mean, you can also make things a race to make sure they actually get done. So both sides of that. Six-year-olds also really, really like to win. So most of these games still have a lot of luck. And you can also go for cooperative games that will allow kids to feel the joy of winning even when they're playing with much more skilled players like mom and dad.
1: This is also a harder list to make because by six, most children are starting to really develop strong opinions about what they do and don't like. There's a lot of really good games out there that your six-year-old can play. We picked ten. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But in this list, we really tried to get a breadth of different kinds of games because... Some things on this list probably won't appeal to your six-year-old.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've been reviewing games for a long time. We have brought two different six-year-olds up through while we were in the depths of reviewing games. And let me tell you, they had very strong opinions about what they did and did not want to play with us.
1: And they were not the same. Oh, no. All right. Do you want to get this list started?
0: Sure. Our first recommendation is Sleeping Queens.
1: So this was hands down the most popular choice in the Family Gamers community for the poll that we put up about games for six-year-olds.
0: Yep. I mean, this is a classic. It is recommended by nearly every parent who has tried it with their kids. The basics of the game are that you play kings and knights and other numbers to wake up and rescue the queens. But if you don't like the cards in your hand, you can discard to get new ones. And you can make number sentences to discard cards faster. So, like, discard the 1, the 5, and the 6 from your hand because 1 plus 5 equals 6. You can now discard 3 cards. Or how about 1 plus 4 plus 5 equals 10. You can discard 4 cards from your hand if you have the 1, the 4, the 5, and the 10. This is an awesome way to just start bringing a little bit of math in. And not many kids' games do stealing and defending, as well as Sleeping Queens does.
1: Yeah, it's worth pointing out that there's also a Sleeping Queens 2 that just came out mm-hmm, in the last mm-hmm. six months. So certainly, there's a lot of interest still in Sleeping Queens. Yeah, there is.
0: Fun fact to anyone who hasn't been listening to our show for a super long time, Sleeping Queens was originally designed by a six-year-old. I believe it first came to market when she was a preteen. Which
1: is a pretty cool fun fact. Uh, yes. Yes. All right, the next game on the list, not at all like Sleeping Queens. No. The next game on the list is Space Escape. This used to be mole rats in space. Yeah, that's what our copy says. That's what our copy says. This was a game by Matt Leacock. So this is a co-op game that kind of feels similar to Shoots and Ladders. Or Snakes and Ladders.
0: Or snakes and Ladders. It has snakes. It has ladders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so in Space Escape, you are flipping cards That allow you to move around on this spaceship map trying to pick up certain things based on like asymmetric goals that you have. There's some envelopes in the box for some slight legacy components, which is not a surprise because this is a Matt Leacock game. (laughs) (laughs) It. Feels, in a lot of ways, similar to Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters, which was another game that was super popular in the poll that we put up, but it's a little bit harder than the base game of Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters. I think it's a little bit more interesting, too.
0: Yeah. I Kids really like the theme of space escape. I mean, you're these cute little figures moving around, and the goal is to collect all of the supplies and get to the escape pod and escape the snakes overrunning your spaceship.
1: Mm. Yeah. Ghost and Treasure Hunters is a great game, but if your kids aren't into ghosts, it's probably not the game for you. This is another option.
0: Yeah. All right. Continuing our quest to do lots of different types of games. Did
1: somebody say dexterity
0: games? We did mention dexterity games early (laughs) on. And six years old is finally old enough and dexterous enough for the classic Rhino Hero.
1: So in Rhino Hero, you are stacking folded cards carefully to try to see who can get rid of all of their cards without knocking the tower over.
0: This is a game that has some built-in leveling and difficulty options here. Uh, You can start with literally just playing the cards, playing the cards... But then once kids get used to that, you can start talking about the special abilities that come up on the cards and how some of them allow you to play more cards and some of them make your opponents do other things and all of those other things that work together to make Rhino Hero an interesting game and a really challenging dexterity game as you get good at it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of really neat stuff in this game that... Again, as you get more used to it, you can start to understand that there actually is a strategy to the game. It's not just being super careful. Yeah. So. All right. Our next game, yet another departure from any of the previous game types. Number four on our list. And again, we never rank these. They, they're they just a list. But number four on our list, games to play with six-year-olds, is Kids Chronicles Quest for the Moonstones.
0: So this is an app-driven, interactive mystery-solving game. Yes. So there is reading required and also an app. This game is not for everyone.
1: This is true. You know who this game is for? It's six-year-olds who like to show games to grandma. It totally is. (laughs) This is a great game for a parent
0: or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle to play with a burgeoning reader. They can trade off and take turns and like, hey, do you know what that word is? Or even just have the adult do all of the actual reading in the game and let
1: the kid do most of the decision-making in the game. It's really more of an interactive story than a board game. And so this is a really good option if you have an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent who isn't really into games, but if your kid is into games and you want to try to find a way for them to have a special time together. When we were playing Quest of the Moonstones for a review, I think there's four or five mysteries in the base box. We had worked our way through two or three of them And we were prepared to review the game, but our youngest wanted to finish it. And so we basically set him up with grandma and they worked together to finish the story. And it was great. And they were both out of our hair. It was wonderful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is also the kind of thing where if your kids are like ours and they have access to technology and apps and things, it's a great way for them to kind of, quote unquote, show off for older relatives who might not be as comfortable with that. But they can lend their strength to the reading aspect of it or right. the solving aspect of it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's incredibly straightforward. This is a well-made app, right? Very well We talked about Save Patients Zero before and how that was not so great. Lucky Duck does a fantastic job with their app stuff. And this is another good example of that. hmm mm-hmm. If you've ever played the Chronicles of Crime games, it's the same basic engine that runs Kids Chronicles. So. Yeah.
0: Simplified quite a bit, yeah. but the same idea is there. All right. On to number 5 mm-hmm. Another entirely different game. This one has an optional app. The game is Panic Island. I really wanted to make sure that we included a memory game because this is a topic that six-year-olds are going to feel very strongly about. Some of them are still going to be very, very into memory games and some are not. If you have a six-year-old who really, really likes memory games, they've probably outgrown your you know, basic memory, even your chicken cha-cha-cha, stuff like that. Panic Island is an awesome step up because it is cooperative and it is timed. So players take turns finding rescue pairs to remove them from the island before the time runs out. But there's also hazards on the board, like tornadoes and fog, and those make your next turns even harder. They make you stand up and spin around before you can continue, or you have to bring your eye down to the level of the table, or whatever. You pick what the hazards are before you start a game, but I love how this works together, that kind of kid skill of memory. Kids are way better at that than adults, with goofy stuff and new challenges, it all works together really, really
1: well. I know that you played a ton of this game. This game is probably still in your like top five most played games.
0: I think so, yes. In part because a single game of Panic Island takes one minute. <laughs> <Hard> <laughs> Plus setup time. time. Maybe two minutes.
1: Alright, the next game on our list, this is a game that was on our list for five-year-olds, and at that point we said, look, this game is a little bit of a stretch, but sometimes we want one or two games that are a little bit of a stretch in there. This one is less of a stretch for six-year-olds, and this is Dragonwood. So we talked before about number sentences, like addition and subtraction and things like that. In this, you've got number sequencing or or set collection, but Mm -hmm. it still involves recognizing numbers, recognizing the order in which they're supposed to go, recognizing the patterns of suits and things like that for the different kinds of attacks that you can make on creatures. But at this point, now our kid's probably can read enough to read the monster names or sound them out or get some help with them, things like that. And it becomes a little bit less of a stretch for these kids. It's an interesting, wonderful game. I mean, it's just so immersive uh, of a fantasy game while helping with these basic set collection mechanics. And it's a lot of fun. Another repeat from our five-year-old list is Concept
0: Kids. We only had room for one clue-giving game in this particular version of the list. So we decided to go with Concept Kids because it's such a great fit for kids and kids are the ones to give the clues in this game. That's really how you should play it. Adults, only if your kids ask you to take over and do that. (laughs) But let the kids give clues about their secret animal, where it lives, what color it is, what kinds of things it eats, you know, what the climate is, fast, slow... All those kind of things. There are also two sets of animal cards in the game. By six years old, if you've already been playing this, you're probably ready for the challenging animals that are not ones that you're going to see around, at least in North America. It's just so good at what it does, which means it's probably not going to be super long-lived past six or seven years old, but it's going to lock right in for this age
1: range. Mm -hmm. All right. Our next game, as previously pointed out, for a six-year-old, everything is a race. So we needed a racing game. So we included a racing game. And this game is Snail Sprint. Snail Sprint is a little bit more complex than Monza, which is a racing game that we talked about with our games for five-year-olds. And, and four-year-olds, and I think, yeah. I think also think, yeah. our games for four-year-olds. So in Snail Sprint, everybody has a secret goal of the order that they want snails to finish the race.
0: Yeah, they have three snails that they want
1: to finish out of the six. But... Nobody owns the individual snails, so everybody is moving all of the various snails. And the neat thing about this game, you roll two dice... And one of them has a color on it and the other one has a different color on it. And so you can move the snail that correlates with one color to the next space of the other color as you kind of go along. Yeah, like
0: you roll green and orange, you can move the green snail to the next orange space. You can move the orange snail to
1: the next green space. It's your choice. Yeah, it's super basic, super simple. But the thing that makes this interesting is that you can move snails on top of other snails. And if a snail is underneath a other snail, it can't move. And this becomes a strategic element in this game.
0: Yeah. On top of that, it's super cute. It's in a metal tin that serves a purpose because that metal tin is part of the game board. All of the snails have magnets on their bottom and they go up one side of the tin across the top and down the other side as part of the game board.
1: Totally unnecessary, but great for kids. It's so great. (laughs) Yeah, this is a game that is starting to introduce some strategy at a very basic level. It's a really... Cute, fun game. I mean, we play it as adults and it's still fun.
0: Yeah. Well, this is also a great game for a kid who wants to be able to keep some secrets mm-hmm. because that's a big part of the game. You have your secret goal of which snails you want to come in first, second, and third, and thereby which three snails you want to prevent from coming in first, second, and third if you
1: can. And you have the opportunity to try to be secretive about it and try to hide that if you want to. Or you can just be like, plowing ahead, plowing ahead. I'm plowing going, ahead. man. So yeah. it's interesting in that way.
0: On to number nine. I now feel fully confident in suggesting some quote unquote grown up games for six year olds. Number nine is King Domino. I have played this with kids way younger than six.
1: Well, we've even mentioned it. <sighs> and we've mentioned it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But the classic King Domino is pretty easy to get started with and understand. And I found that playing it with younger kids, they like that idea of building their kingdom and fitting the matching land types together. By six years old, if they've started to be able to do the counting by, counting by twos, threes, fives, etc., you can help them practice that a little bit more as they build up their kingdom. Like, oh, look, you have three crowns over here in the forest area. So each square is three. Let's count the squares by threes.
1: Yeah, it works great for that. The two-player variation of seven by seven instead of five by five. I will always recommend that when playing <laughs> king domino. If you're playing at two players, it's just a great way to play. It's the fun. Game. Yeah. Yep. This is a game that your kids can learn how to play. If they want to grow into something more complex, you've got King Domino Origins. If they just want to keep playing King Domino for the rest of their lives, ah, that's, that's fine. fine.
0: Yes, it's a great. That's game. That's fine.
1: It's a great game. Number ten, also an adult slash grown up game. So right now in the world, there's this like resurgence of chess players. Yes, uh, especially at the middle school level and above. This game that we're going to recommend is similar to chess, but I think it's easier than chess.
0: It's certainly a lot easier to understand and remember all of your
1: options. Yeah, it's a lot less strategic than chess, let's be honest. Yeah, But I think it makes it a calmer experience, a less intense experience, and that's the game Onitama.
0: It's more achievable for kids to learn and do decently.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely a game that if an adult is playing with a child, the adult is going to win pretty much every time.
0: Yeah, you might still need to handicap yourself. Right. But yeah, kids are not going to be like, oh, what can I do with this piece? Oh, what can I do with this piece? In Onitama, every turn, you only have two sets of move options represented by a card. And whichever option you take, you're going to hand that card into the middle, basically for your opponent
1: to be able to use on a future turn. So in a game of Onitama, it's a two-player only game. There are only ever five ways to move. Each player has two of them and there's one in the middle. Mm -hmm. On your turn, you will use one of the two movements that's in front of you. Any of your pieces can move the same way. Mm -hmm. One of those Mm -hmm. two moves. You make that move and then you take that move card and you put it in the middle and that becomes the middle card for the next go around. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting because there are a lot of strategic elements with movement. You may want to make a move, but if you're smart enough to look at what your opponent will then be able to do, you might not want to give them that card. Yeah, for example,
0: we've played games where out of the five cards, only one of them allows, for example, moving right. You've got your opponent pinned up against a wall and they can't move most of their guys because they can't move right. You really want to move right, but you're not going to because you don't want to give that option to your opponent. Right.
1: It's a really interesting game in that way. I really enjoy it a lot. It has a different decision space than something like a chess where you start with 16 pieces, eight of them move one way. Then you've got Uh, five other sets of ways that things move. And there's just, there's a lot of variables on the board that simplifies it dramatically. I think you start with seven pieces.
0: You've got a king and some pawns. It's not a king, but whatever it is. And there are two ways to win the game. Either you get your king over to the other guy's throne or you take out the other guy's king.
1: That's it. That's it. That's Onitama. I really, really like that game a lot. It's a great game. Yeah. It also comes with a neoprene mat. If a game comes with a neoprene mat, I'm probably going to like it.
0: I mean, that that's fair. Uh, we've liked this game for a really long time. And a big part of why we like it so much is because it's not just that it's got this cool tactical element to it, but also because it's so approachable. I can sit down with anyone, even a six-year-old, and teach them how to play in less than five minutes.
1: Anitra, that's a list.
0: That's a list. That is our top 10 games for six-year-olds. We are probably not going to do a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. As we mentioned, once you start getting into these ages, they're in school. Their abilities actually are more different in lots of different ways. Like their abilities and their interests kind of go all over the place. You can assume reading and some basic math and beyond that, who knows?
1: Yeah, at this point... The foundational skills are there, so you're not going to see as much of a dramatic difference from year to year. So we might do some lists of like seven to 10 or games for tweens or something to that effect. Maybe we'll do a games for teenagers. That's not a group that people talk about a lot. Sure. But the point is that at these age ranges, that skill set has blended so much that it's really not worth it to do single age lists at this point.
0: Yeah, It becomes really completely about your individual kid what their skills are, and what they like. And that's not something that we can generalize as much.
1: Yep. Well, Anitra, we got a couple of these suggestions from our Facebook community. We did. So where can people go if they want to check out that community?
0: Well, you can go to Facebook and look for the Family Gamers community. 650 members strong.
1: Yeah. Woo! feel free to go into the community and and share your thoughts about games for six-year-olds. If we didn't mention something, if you didn't see the poll, and you want to talk about some games that you're really enjoying playing with that five, six, seven, eight-year-old age range, feel free to head over to the community and talk about it. Please do. We actually ended up
0: talking about why we didn't recommend Scribbly Gum a couple of weeks ago. And the answer is because if you're not in Australia, it's kind of hard to get. Uh, We think it's a great game. So Australian listeners, if you are looking for a game for your five and six-year-olds, Scribbly Gum would be a great choice. For the rest of the world, unless you have a connection to get overseas games, Scribbly Gum is not a great choice at the moment. It should be coming to the U.S. eventually.
1: And of course, there's lots of other ways that you can get a hold of us. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, and on YouTube at Family Gamers AA. You
0: can always email us with your comments, questions, complaints, <laughs> criticisms, sure. I don't know, whatever. You can
1: email me, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com.
0: Anitra at thefamilygamers.com.
1: Please check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids and A Balanced Life merchandise, t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and stuff at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Makes a great gift. Makes a great gift for Father's Day coming yes, up in a couple Father's more weeks. Father's
0: coming up. Please don't forget to subscribe to this show. Tell your friends and maybe even your enemies, your acquaintances, I don't know, everybody. Tell everyone your frenemies has children in their lives about this podcast, please.
1: Please, 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 please.
0: It would also be handy if you could leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcast. You can find us on basically every podcast service everywhere ask your smart speaker ask your car i don't know wherever you listen to podcasts you can find us
1: <laughs> ask your kid to tune into the podcast for you that's fine I, I
0: mean we got some of those yes that's fine that's
1: fine <laughs> the family gamers is sponsored by first move financial go to first dot forward slash family gamers to learn how the team at first move financial can help you pile up the victory points well i think that's going to be it for us this week okay i'm tempted to go find some six-year-olds to play games with We don't have one in our (laughs) not anymore anymore. (laughs) yeah i know it's crazy it's crazy all right well if we have success finding six-year-old we'll tell you all about it next week but until then Play play games with your kids